Welcome to episode 40 of the Hoop Threads podcast. Back from a long hiatus, had some crazy stuff happening in the personal life, but I got my man Pat Stasiak. Stays, I got him uh, on the pod, really excited. Uh, Colgate, uh, Director of Basketball Operations, uh, former uh, <laughs> excellent SUNY Cortland uh, student coach and manager with me back in the day. Uh, Pat, how's it going? Glad to have you on. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's, it's good to uh, finally catch up with you. You're, you're a hard man to get a hold of sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they got you doing a lot of stuff up there. All right. So, you know, let's let's take it back to the beginning. Let's talk about, you know, where, where your love for the game first started, you know, how you ended up at Cortland and then uh, Colgate afterwards. Uh, well, I, I played in high school. I think that's kind of when I fell in love with basketball. I, I had an older brother who was a, a much better player than me, but you know, just competing with him every day kind of made me fall in love with basketball and just competing. So from there, I just kept playing. And then when I went to Cortland, when I was making my college decision, I, I kind of knew I wanted to stay involved with the game somehow. And I knew eventually I, I wanted to coach. At that time, I didn't really know what level or, you know, I, I kind of just thought I wanted to be a high school coach. So I ended up at SUNY Cortland with you and I working with Coach Spanbauer. And that's kind of what kind of sparked me to be like, all right, I, I think I want to coach at the college level is, is if I can. Um, and then just grinding it out with, with you and Coach Span doing all the dirty work was <laughs> kind of how I started, I guess. This is a quick shout out to you for saving my life every time I screwed up something with his ridiculous <laughs> rules for these one-sided games and everything. <laughs> I was talking to Mo. I think that's be like, oh no, if the ball bounces twice, it's three points. I'm like, all right, man, Pat just yeah. over, bro. <laughs> Pat, Pat, yeah, he he over. spoke a different language on, on some of his <laughs> drills and how he scored it. But I think that's the name of the game when you're a a manager, GA, student assistant, whatever you are. Like, I think the name of the game is just figuring it out as you go. Yeah, yeah, it really is that's in the cloud there, that's for sure. So. Um, you know, talk about, you know, what, what led you to wanting to be a student manager. I know that, that you and Billy Buckets, I think, had a prior relationship, uh, both being from the uh, 716, from the Buffalo area. Um, you know, talk about those those kind of formative years, you know, soaking on, you know, all the, the, the information from, from Coach Spann. Um, I don't know if he is yet, but I'm sure he'll be in the Cortland Hall of Fame one day. I mean, via his playing career, and he's been there for, you know, 20-something years at this point. So kind of what did you uh, what did you learn and what did you, did you pick up in your time uh, at SUNY Cortland? Uh, Span will definitely be in that Hall of Fame. But I don't know, I think it was Span and, and all his assistants and, like, working with you and Buckets and a, a lot of guys. Like, you just kind of pick up little things as you go. I think, I think Span did an unbelievable job of, of putting players in – positions where they can succeed based off of like who they were as a player. So like, he never asked guys to do stuff that they couldn't do, which mm -hmm. I think is why he had a lot of success. So mm -hmm. he would change what he did a little bit or put people in different spots based off of their skill set, which I definitely took that with me. Um, I don't know. I think buckets, man, buckets. Was, he taught me everything I knew there. So <laughs> I was lost my first semester until buckets got back, but he oh just like, being organized and kind of just whatever you could do to help is was buckets his mindset. So yeah, I, I think I adopted that from him and it, it helped me, you know, eventually get an assistant coaching spot for span. Cause I was around for four years. And I think span was like, all right, well, 
he just worked for me for four years and did everything he could. So let's give him a chance at, at coaching now. So and I don't other, know. I think that's kind of my main takeaways. But yeah, I, 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 thought it, I thought it was always interesting too. Like buckets was always, and he was always able to anticipate what coach needed before he needed it. And, you know, that was kind of the, the, the takeaway that I had from it, but um Talk about some of the offensive principles at SUNY Cortland, some of the kind of the staples of the program as far as the culture, like what it means to be, you know, a Red Dragon. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting topic. Like, like you, you know how it is. Like, all the alumni always come back, and I, I think there's more tradition at, at a place like Cortland than you'd think being a, you know, a state school and there being a lot of students and whatnot. But, you know, like I still talk to – alumni I talked to Mo probably once a week I was just at Harrison Heffley's wedding I talked to Buckets and TJ Heffley Mike Kelly just came up to visit me in Hamilton a couple weeks ago like just you're always in touch with those guys like me and Harrison Heffley were just talking about he's in a group text with all the guys he graduated with still and he graduated you know like eight years ago now something like that nine years ago so I think there's there's a lot of people that are proud that yeah there's a lot of people that are proud to say they played for Cortland and played for coach Spanbauer. So that speaks for itself. I mean, there's also a lot of guys coaching that, that play there. So like, not only did they have a great experience playing at Cortland, but they're still involved in the game of basketball. So I think that stems back to coach Spanbauer and Cortland. Mm-hmm. Got you. Um, talk about, uh, um, let's, let's talk about hoop group first. So let's talk about, you know, that, that period of, of college, you know, especially junior year, senior year, when you're like, you know, I know that I th- this was the same thing for me. So, you know, you're like, I know I want to be involved in the game. You know, I, I want to find a, a spot after that. Talk about, you know, the different, you know, situations you put yourself into not only gain experience, but also build connections and network, you know, with, with hopes to find a job down the line, but also just, you know, to, to meet and connect with, you know, good people that are just, you know, basketball minds. Yeah, for sure. So me and man, Eamon Marr, we went, started working at Hoop Group together. So his, his father, Buddy Marr is a, a legendary coach. And he kind of told me and Eamon when we were Sumi Corlin students, like, you want to coach in college and I'm going to drop you off in Reading, Pennsylvania, and you're going to work there all summer. And I was like, all right. So I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but it was pretty clear once you get there, you know, you're, you're going to work hard. You're going to do a lot of stuff that, you know, needs to get done that you might not like doing, but it, there's a lot of stuff that comes with running a camp that large that Mm. isn't glamorous, but the people you work with are awesome. So you're just meeting so many people from so many different areas and so many different backgrounds, whether they're JUCO kids or JUCO coaches or division one, division two, division three, high school, prep school, like there's so many different like avenues in, in college basketball. Like you meet all these people at once and you're building relationships and you know, you're doing jobs that are, that are like difficult tasks sometimes, but you're doing it with other people. So you build a strong relationship while you're doing it with them. Mm-hmm. I still stay in touch with so many of those people all the time. Uh, I mean, hoop group was great because it, like it allowed me to, to learn about college athletics and college basketball outside of Cortland. So I got, 
I had felt comfortable about, you know, learning from Coach Bauer and everything he was doing in his program, but it allowed me to see how other people run their programs. Like from the outside looking in, like I was able to learn from, you know, hearing from other people what they do in situations or in practice or the off season, stuff like that, which you kind of just always like picking up stuff like that. And whether you like it or not, like it might be something you, like I might have heard something like, oh, I don't know, it's interesting. I don't really like that, but I could do it this way. It's like you're always adapting and tweaking different ideas from these people you're meeting. Mm. I mean, hoop groups just the definition of figure it out. Like <laughs> you might just get a task and they might not tell you how to do it, but you just got to figure it out. And I think that that's really important to learn how to do it in, in college athletics is is how to do that because you never know what challenge you're going to face or, you know, something might happen. And, and the, like the more you wake up in the morning, you might not know what you're getting yourself into that day and something might happen. You got to adjust and figure out how to solve a problem. So I think Hoop Group definitely taught me a little bit of that. Um, it'll never, you'll never stop doing that in college athletics. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's talk real quick about, you know, I think it was really important. Um, I'm going to mess this up. The, the podcast that you were on, was it better coaches? I forget the name of it. Oh, oh I forget the name too. Coach Andy Stark. Oh man. I'm, I'm killing. I just listened to this stuff too. That's, that's the embarrassing thing. I actually have it on my phone. Let me look it up real quick. Cause I definitely want to shout them out. Uh, Undercover coaches podcast. There we go. Um, yeah. Yeah. No coach Andy I, Stark. Great, great interview uh, with, with you. Uh, he, he beat me to it. He, he got you on there first, the full year. Goodness gracious. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was kind of talking about, you know, building a relationship with the Colgate staff. It happened organically, but it was also, you know, it was also intentional. Um, you know, talk about, you know, how that, you know, re that relationship was obviously important for you to, you know, get get to the spot that you're in now. Yeah, so I, I had met uh, Coach Mike Jordan and Coach Dave Klatsky at Hoop Group. So just kind of in passing, and they, I think MJ had asked me where a certain player was playing, and I showed him what court it was. And You know, you're always seeing, like, the same coaches come and recruit these events. So I kind of just kept up with them, and then one day he, he gave me his business card. He was like, hey, stay in touch, man. Like, let me know if you need anything. And I was like, well – I go to school like only like an hour from Colgate. Can I come by practice? And what, that was something I, I always did. And I really like doing it. And I still do it when I can is just go to someone else's practice and just observe. Hmm. So I'd come, I came to Colgate once and I was like, wow, like I really like what they're doing. Like I like the way they structure the practice. I like the intensity of the practice. And so I kind of kept coming back. Like I, hmm. I asked, I was like, Hey, can I keep coming? They're like, yeah, whenever you want. So I would just, kept coming. I'd take notes. I'd talk to the guys after. And, you know, I never did that thinking I'd end up working at Colgate. Mm. But when the opportunity came open and the ops job came open, those guys called me and asked if I'd be interested just because I built up that relationship with them. And, you know, one thing led to the other. And I ended up being fortunate enough to be here as the ops guy. Mm. But like, like you said, it kind of just organically happened over time. And like, I don't know, I, I never thought at the time I'd be, I was doing it to get a job with them, but it worked out that way. And it's probably been the best thing for me to, you know, move on. I, I think when you're, when you're young and coaching, there's some value to 
learning from different people or working with different people when you're, when you're younger, you know, like you're, you're able to be a little more flexible and move around and things like that. So the opportunity came up and I, I jumped on it. I, I was actually living on Mo's couch <laughs> when, before I interviewed here and I just kind of moved out here right away. <laughs> Don't have to get out of the lease there. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. But then like when I started here, you know, I, I'd already, I didn't know these guys super well. I, you know, I'd known them cause I'd come to practice and they'd, talk with me after and I'd hang out for a little bit yeah. but it made it easier when I started like I wasn't just starting in a place where I didn't know anybody yeah. so I didn't I didn't know I didn't know the players on a personal level I had known some of the players just from watching them practice yeah which is interesting because I like I think I had my own assumptions about guys before I had a chance to build a relationship with them okay. and then I ended up getting the job here and being able to like, meet them and build that relationship but when I started it was you know I knew coach Classy, I knew coach Jordan and I'd met coach Lango and then coach Moore who was just in the op spot before me got promoted to assistant so it helped me like adjust to a new role being able to have natural conversations and had already known the staff which was cool mm -hmm. let's talk real quick I mean just going to those practices talk about um what's your, some of your takeaways were and maybe some things that you picked up on then um, and, and kind of what you saw about the practice, maybe that you didn't see, you know, now that, that, that you saw then. Yeah. So I think at first I went, I went in with the mindset where I was more looking at X's and O's hmm. and I got there. And I think the offensive style of play that we have here is very free flowing and hmm. it's, it's pretty fun to play in if you're a player. Yep. So I think at first I was like, oh, let's go look at what they're running offensively and what they're doing on defense and how can I, you know, bring this back to Cortland and how can I go to Coach Spanbauer and say, hey, this is a cool action. This is a cool quick hitter. And then I, I kept going back. And the more I'd go back, the more I'd pay attention to, you know, like what were the assistants doing in the practice? How, what was Coach Langle doing? Like how was the practice structured? Like how did Coach Langle, you know, coach the guys? What was – how did he word certain statements? Like little things like that, which I didn't think I was going to be starting to pay attention to. I started to pay attention to it. Like, I think I think our practices are intense and we compete, but you know, it's not the style of coaching where you're just screaming at guys the whole time. Like it's stuff like that. I started to pick up on more and more, which I think I think to me might be more valuable than than the X's and O's at, at that point in time for me. Like eventually, I ended up getting hired as an assistant at Cortland. And then I was in the position at Cortland to be in a practice and I would reflect on what I saw the assistants at Colgate do, mm -hmm. which was cool. But I, I, don't, I think there's, I guess it was a little while ago now, but there's a lot of like little things I'd pick up on or like, like habits of the players. Like not after I'd been to like, you know, two or three practices, I could kind of get a sense for the players. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, this guy's doing this. He did this every practice or, after practice, this guy was shooting with this coach, stuff like that, that would stay with me and help me as I ended up working for Span as an assistant. Mm. Let's talk. Let's talk real quick about uh, the story I was told to ask you about. I was told that there was a certain situation where you're supposed to move a ball rack and uh, forgot to do that. Oh man! Span kind of lost his mind. That was my first game ever at Sumi Cortland. Oh wow! Game one. <laughs> So 
as as a manager, it was my job to move the ball rack out for warm-ups and move it out, you know, after warm-ups. Mm-hmm. So I'm wheeling the ball rack off the floor and co- I'm wheeling it right by our bench. And Coach Span was like, you know, just leave it right here. Just leave it right here. You got to bring it out at halftime. So I left it like kind of like by the scores table almost. And I'm sitting at the end of the bench during the game. And the first half, we weren't really playing well. And Span was all over the guys. He's all over the officials. All of a sudden, he kind of gets a little heated with the official. And maybe it wasn't the official. Maybe it's one of the guys. But he, he gets a little intense, and he just punched the ball rack. <laughs> Balls just went everywhere. He gets the technical. I'm looking like, oh, my God, this is game one. Like, it's over for me. He might fire me. And then, and you know Coach Bambar. Like, he, I don't even think he remembers telling me to put the ball rack there. So oh. I'm running all over, like, picking up the ball. You were running all over picking up the balls with me, I think. I, you know, I, I was I was filming up above, so that wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, you got lucky. <laughs> I was chasing him down. So I was all nervous after the game, and we ended up coming back and winning, thankfully. And Coach Ben didn't say a word about it. So he never said anything. I'm like, I think I'm in the clear. Maybe he just – like, I don't know if he forgot about it or what. And probably, like, two weeks later, I walk into Span's office after class one day, like, grabbing the pennies and stuff to get ready for practice. And Span was just like, wow, you know, that technical is your fault. And I was like, oh, my. Like, two weeks later? I was like, man, it's over. Like, he's going to fire me. This is it. And then he just never said anything about it. He's like, that technical is your fault. And I apologized to him. And I walk out of his office, and I heard him kind of, like, chuckling in his office. So I think it was his way of busting my chops. But – I'll tell you that every game for the rest of that year, when I had to move the ball rack, I moved it all the way into the closet, <laughs> well past the bench, nowhere near him. <laughs> I almost forgot. I was, I was glad I almost forgot about that one. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> that was uh that was that was from Mo. Mo, Mo said to, to send his love on that one. Yeah, Mo loves that story. <laughs> that was that was Mo's senior year. Hey man, it was probably Kev that saved us on that one. <laughs> Kev, yeah, true. Kev, Kev really did bail us out of a lot of tough spots. So, um, let's talk. Point. Let's talk about you know the last one is 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 something that that Coach Span always I, I always heard him say at the BCANY clinics, where you know he's hosting you know a bunch of high school and college coaches come in for for clinics every year, which by the way I did not know about. Like I remember we were playing pickup on the floor, and then all of a sudden there's like a hundred coaches surrounding the court. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like yeah, shut you up. It, it was like when we were uh, when we would be like like if you're at like you know Wegmans and you're at the butcher or something waiting for your meat like they all were like looking at us like they you know whether like they they obviously weren't like recruiting but they were like evaluating it was funny uh, yeah. before yeah I actually ended up staying in like Stan Van Gundy came later Jim Beheim all that anyways so you know he always says during those is like there is no division four <laughs> he's like you know i had to load my truck this morning to to grab you know the tables for you guys and all that stuff so kind of talk about the difference between the levels and you know how that experience of having to wear you know i'm sure you had to wear a ton of hats um you know kind of prepared you for the role that you're in now especially as an ops guy <laughs> yeah i think 
one thing Span always told the players that I thought was interesting was he always said there's, I think it was like 3% of high school basketball players go on to play college. And it's, it was like 1% play division one, 1% one play division two, 1% play division three. And his message to the team was like, you know, there's not that many kids that have the opportunity that, that you guys have. So like, it might seem like there is, but in the grand scheme of things, like you have a pretty good opportunity to play college basketball, yep. which is, I always remember listening to that. He'd always tell the guys every year he'd have like one practice and he'd mention that. And it's like, his point was division three is a, a pretty high level of basketball. Mm-hmm. It, there is a lot of di- differences in division one, division two, and division three, but it's all quality basketball. So I think I there's a lot of people ex- that might. I would argue that execution is even more important because you don't have, you know, the physical attributes to make up for, you know, <laughs> the lack of that. Execution. Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely some cases where, um, where that I would agree with you there, but it's, it, it's, in, it's interesting because I think, I think even at the division one level, I think there's, there's different, obviously there's different levels, but you know, at Colgate, we don't get, we might not get the same type of players as even other schools in our league or some other similar leagues. So we have to coach our guys differently, but I I think division division three basketball is, is very high level. I, I agree. I think execution is important. It's, it's something that, but you know, we always tell our guys here about like the opportunity they have to be a, a Colgate student athlete. Well, the opportunity you have to be a college basketball player is, is also something pretty special. So I think Span did a really good job of explaining that. I think I think our guys here have a good understanding of the opportunity they have. And that I, I say to be a the opportunity to be a college basketball player, but I think we all know that goes well beyond the basketball court, which I think is why I, I really liked working for Coach Spanbauer, because that's a lot of what he preached and it's definitely a lot of what we preach to our guys here. Yeah. Let's last question about Cortland. Um, kind of what were some of your roles, you know, once you became a student manager your senior year? And uh, you know, how did that kind of prepare you for for the situation you're in now? So well I you remember when we were managers at Cortland, it was everything. You fill the water bottles, you'd set up practice. You, I, I worked a clock for four years and forget to do it earlier, like yeah, like you'd <laughs> you got to drop the practice loops and all the dirty work that I guess a lot of people wouldn't, wouldn't like doing. And I don't, I didn't like doing the jobs that some of the jobs necessarily, but I I liked being a part of the program and being a part of the team. And that's kind of where I learned there. Like anywhere you are, you're going to have to do some stuff that you might not like to do, but you have to do it in order to stay where you're working. So Mm. like that, that helped me when, when I became an assistant, well, at a, at division three, you have less resources than, than other programs. So, yeah. you know, I was an assistant basketball coach, but I, me, me and Mo handled the, and JP Reagan handled the social media and we would do all like the behind the scenes stuff and, you know, some scheduling stuff or like all, all the little things that go into it where, you know, it kind of just transitioned from all right, the little things as a manager that I need to do. There's also little things as an assistant coach I need to do. And now as the ops guy, it's, it's similar. So I think being a division three assistant, I think really helped me transition into ops role because I, I did a lot of different things outside of basketball that are important to running a program. And then I get here as an ops guy, 
and I'm not allowed to get on the court and coach. I'm not allowed to go on the road and recruit. And I have to focus on a lot of those behind the scenes things that are really important. Like, you know, like timing of things and, and making sure you're, the scheduling and road trips and everything's like on point so that, you know, your coaching staff, your players don't have to worry about things is, is my biggest thing. Like when, when I got here, it was, I learned pretty quick. I was like, all right, my job is to do whatever I need to do so that our players can just play and our coaches can coach like anything I can do to take something off their plate. Sure. Like that's, that's my job. And, Coming from Portland, that it was, I think, easier for me to make that transition than than I had I had thought at first. Mm-hmm. Talk about how COVID, you know, affected your your season, especially the preseason. Um, and you know, talk about. I'm sure scheduling was an absolute nightmare, and then also just still is. <laughs> and then also, <laughs> and then also talking about. Um, how, you know, some, you know, high major division one spots, you know, wanted to play you just based off of, you know, where your net rating was. Yeah. So, um, going back to like before the season, like I remember there were like our guys would come in an office and be like, Hey, are we going to play this year? It's like, it was like a big question mark on the year, mm-hmm. you know, when our guys got back to campus and you know, at first, like we were like, I don't, we don't know. Yeah. Like we don't like the world's going through something crazy. Like we don't know if we're going to be able to play, mm-hmm. but our message to the guys was like, we're going to do everything to be ready if that opportunity comes. So we were able, I think Colgate's done a tremendous job with their COVID protocols and to make sure everything, um, all students here are, are safe. So, you know, we started small groups and things and, you know, we started practicing not knowing when we were going to play. And I think practicing without having an opponent on the schedule is, is, different than normal years so the Patriot League made the decision to not have a non-conference schedule so I think the one of the weirdest parts was college basketball starts and other teams are playing and we can't Mm. so we couldn't play until January which to be honest like it hurt like I'd go home from practice and turn on the tv and be watching college basketball like man and I know our guys felt the same way like we just want to compete so I think then obviously we were fortunate enough to have a a conference schedule so once they came out with the Patriot League schedule like that first practice was just so intense where our guys were just so excited to have somebody on the schedule see an opponent's name we're like all right we're playing so once we started playing it it was a relief but we also knew like it's still not normal like you know we had two weekends I believe where other teams traveled to Hamilton and we ended up not even playing the game because people in other programs had come up with a, a positive test or a, you know, symptoms, like whatever it may be. And we didn't play. So mm-hmm. like it's, you know, there was two weekends where we had our uniforms on warming up and we ended up changing our practice gear and practicing, which is like to, to change your mindset that quick is like hard. <laughs> I think, I think our guys did an unbelievable job with it. Like, yep. you know, we did an, inter-squad scrimmage one day we were supposed to play a game so being able to change gears and like just on the fly just be able to figure it out I think our program might have even had like less like COVID issues to to deal with throughout the year and it was still hard for us fortunately for us we 
and I, I think it's a credit to all, all all of our players and Cole University as a whole. We had zero people test positive through the whole through the whole season in our uh, whatever they call it, tier or whatever they called it, which I I'd like to see how many programs across the country had had zero or not many because I feel like there's a lot that went on pauses. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was a weird year, but it was such a relief to play and. Like even people during the season would ask me all the time, like, "Well, you play the same five teams or the same four teams all year," mm. and like, yeah, like it is weird. Like, yeah. we'll play a team, and then two weeks later, we're they're coming our place, and we're playing them again. But it's just such a relief to compete and play basketball again. And it's like it's almost like you don't care who you're playing; you just want to play. Yeah. Um, going off to your point of the the net rankings, I think I, we weren't allowed to play anyone outside of our conference. Um, I think our, our net ranking was was very high, so I think maybe there there would have been some opportunity where some bubble teams were wanted to play us or things like that. But unfortunately, we didn't we didn't get that opportunity. But again, it's just like all right, well, the the football coach here, Dan Hunt, is an awesome guy. He 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 always tells his guys like we'll fight when we'll pull when when we're told and we'll win when we'll fight. So I think we kind of adopted that mm-hmm. slogan a little bit just because. You didn't know who you're playing. You didn't know when you're playing, but if it switches a day before the game, so be it. Let's go compete. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about you know the way that your staff recruits. You know, you're not on the road, but I'm 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 sure that you're still involved in the process as far as you know either uh, feeling you know people you know high school coaches, AU coaches reaching out, you know, expressing interest or, you know, people reaching out to the assistant coaches. Um, I'm sure that you do a good bit of vetting uh, when it comes to video stuff. So kind of talk about your role there and, you know, how recruiting, you know, a Colgate's different than a lot of places because of, you know, the academic standards that, that you guys have there. Yeah, for sure. I think um, it's unique because the academic requirements and also, you know, we have a unique location and it's a little different than other schools other division one schools other schools in our league so I think our mindset's kind of just trying to find the right players like the players that want to be here and like they value academics they value playing basketball they they value the same things that the, the players that are already in our program value like that's why why they're here and recruiting is always difficult no matter where you are because you, know, you might get a kid to commit to you, and then you're like, oh, I hope he's, hope he's what we think he is. <laughs> but I think, I think here we do a good job of like you're gathering so much information about a kid that when when we offer him a scholarship or you know when we're recruiting, it's getting a little more serious in the recruiting process that we know we really feel deep down that like, all right, this kid is is what we're looking for in terms of a person and a player. So, and that might be like, you know, you might, we might call his, his high school coach, his AAU coach, his trainer, his parents. Then you might call like his high school baseball coach. Like you want to know everything about the kid just so, you know, there is no red flags or, you know, red flags to other people, you know, other programs are like, Oh, this kid's been to three high schools. Well, I don't want to recruit this kid. Well, maybe there's a reason, maybe he moved, maybe, there's a good reason you're at a couple different high schools. So just gathering so much information that, you know, when we do bring them to campus and 
we do feel comfortable with him and he feels comfortable here and with our players that, you know, we extend an offer for him to join our team. So I think just getting to know so much, like so much, like little minor details that I think it's helped us here. Like I said, I'm not able to recruit and, you know, unfortunately I'm able to recruit and call kids and coaches and build these relationships here yet. But, you know, when a kid comes to campus, like we all spend time with them. Every member of the coaching staff, like, you know, coach Moore might be the lead recruiter on a guy, but when he gets to campus for a visit, he spends the same amount of time with me as the assistants. And we make sure he spends time with the guys because a yeah. place like Colia, we're, we're a little farther out, you know, <laughs> a little farther out than a lot of schools. So if, if a kid's not going to feel comfortable here, well, maybe it's not the best place for them. So I think finding enough information about kids and finding the right the right kids that want to be here is, is important to us. Whether it's something that is a red flag or something that you're prioritizing, what's something about recruiting that you've learned, you know, in the last three years that you didn't, you know, either know before Cortland or, you know, you didn't know after? Um, I think me being – a, a very young assistant coach at Cortland, I was always like, let's just go find the best player I could find and convince him SUNY Cortland was the place for him. Mm-hmm. And I, me and Mo, my first year of Spain, I was like, we need like nine players. I'm like, not nine, geez. All right, <laughs> get on the road. <laughs> and and I hadn't, I hadn't really recruited before that. And I'd recruited kids to come to hoop group camp, but I think that's different because – know any any kid can can go to hoop group camp and play and you're finding kids but when you're when you're recruiting for a program you want to make sure it's the right kid so when I was an assistant at Cortland I think I was doing some of that naturally because of how coach Ban runs his program but then getting here like I really saw the importance of finding the right kid for where you are or what or what your values are in your program you need to find the players that have those same, that they value the same things as your program, I guess is a good way to put it, mm-hmm. which, you know, I, I did I thought I knew it all when I was at Cortland, but it's definitely one thing I've picked up on as I would love, learn more about it. Would love to hear too. What are some cross-offs, you know, outside of the academics, you know, that, 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 you know, there's a lot of parents and, you know, high school coaches, um, you know, back here and back home in New York that, that kind of listen to the pod. So, you know, how, what's a way that, you know, they they really should avoid doing this because it's going to mess up their recruitment, whether that's, you know, having too many Twitter likes of, you know, girls' booty pics or, you know, some marijuana leaves and stuff like that. You know, uh, what, are, what are some cross-offs for you as a, as a college coach when, when you're looking into a guy? Um, yeah, I think those things, like me personally, I think, like when, when you're watching a kid, like his attitude towards coaching and towards his teammates. Like if, mm. if if he just clearly doesn't care about his teammates and, you know, his coach is trying to tell him something, he's kind of blowing him off. Like in, in, in my opinion, like that kind of just grinds my gears a little bit. And it's like, all right, well, if he's doing that here in AAU or high school, like probably going to do that at the next level. So mm. I think – Every every kid's different, but mm-hmm. stuff like that, like how like how they treat people, like 
you know, if you see him after a game or how he treats an official or you know, someone in passing at, at a tournament or wherever you are, or he comes to campus, how he, how he interacts with other people on your campus. And if he's not friendly or interacts in a negative way, I, I think that for me is, is something that's a red flag in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, a lot of those things are habits and mm. bad habits are, are tough to get rid of. So mm. for every kid that's doing that, he, he might be really good, but there's, there's another kid out there that's doing the same things on the court and he's treating people the right way and accepting coaching and mm. listening and doing all the things going about his business the right way that are easier to recruit a kid like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I've been told by a lot of co- college coaches is it's a lot more about the, 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 the things that you shouldn't be doing that, you know, if you just avoid doing those, it's going to help your case a lot easier. Um, let's talk about balancing the personalities of, of the head coach that you work for. You know, sometimes it can be, you know, a, a good cop, get, bad cop situation. Um, other times it's really just, um, being, you know, the yin to the yang of, of the other coaches and just kind of balancing the energy on the team. Because, you know, if it's all five coaches losing their mind, it's going to be bad. If it's all five coaches, you know, being calm, cool, and collected, you know, laid back, you know, it, it's it's going to have a different effect on that. So talk about what you've learned kind of in that area. Yeah, I think that's an interesting topic because I think I think as an assistant coach or like my position as the ops guy, like I I'm not able to recruit or get on the court and, and coach the guys like I want to. So I, one of the ways I, I think, I, I hope I make an impact on our program is building relationships with our players. So I got, since I can't do those things, I think that's one thing I, I do well mm-hmm. here is to get to know our guys and you know, let them know I, I care about what they're doing in basketball and school, what's going on at home and things like that. But like it, as an assistant coach or support staff role, I think you have to build a good relationship. Like you have to as a head coach too. But, you know, a lot of players are more comfortable expressing themselves a little bit mm-hmm. to an assistant or support staff that can help. Like when we meet as a staff and we talk about our own roster, like maybe I see something that one of our guys is going through or something that's in his head that, then it helps us as a group coach him the right way or a little differently or something, something to make sure that his experience is, is going well. And, or, you know, you might see something that's hurting the team. So you, and it's through building relationships with guys. So I think, you know, good cop, bad cops, like an interesting way to put it. Like a lot of, I feel like a lot of people think like the head coach has to be this like mean, bad guy that, you know, the players don't like, but he does a good job and, the assistants are the good cops that make sure the guys are happy. And, you know, maybe that works, but I think, I think there's a way to do it where all members of the coaching staff, you know, command the same respect, but like there is a little bit of that um, having assistants and support staff, you know, build a, a closer relationship with the guys. Like one of the things we do here is we'll split up our roster. So, myself and the three assistants will split up our roster and we'll all have a handful of guys that, that we work with a little bit more individually. And that's with, you know, schoolwork or extra things we're doing in the community as a team, 
or, you know, Colgate might have some sort of training for their student athletes they need to complete online. So we're following up with that. And, you know, midterms are this week. Like, let me follow up with my four guys on what's going on in their class schedule. Like, how can I help them? How can I, you know, what, what light can I shed on their situation to help them make sure they're doing well in class? That's helped us. Like, you know, if a, if a guy approaches me with an issue that, and he's not one of my guys, I'll still help him. I'll do anything to help him. But mm-hmm. just so you focus a little bit more individually on those guys. And then like when we meet as a staff, you know, one of my guys has something going on that I think I need to bring up to the staff. Like, Hey, so-and-so's got this going on. You know, here's what I think. Here's what I told him. Here's how I think I can help him. Just want to let you guys know, like, Hey, so-and-so's having a bad day. This happened. Just want to bring it up to you guys. And I think that allows for a program to be pretty transparent. I think, I think the guys like it. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that was actually what I was going to ask next is, you know, talking about relationship building. Um, but, but you kind of, you kind of answered that staying ahead of the game. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, nah, no worries. Um, what are, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. So, what are some things that, that you've taken from span and that, that you're going to take from coach Langle uh, eventually, you know, when you're running your own program down the line, you know, what are some, whether that's a drill, whether that's an offensive principle, whether that's a defensive fundamental where, whether that's, you know, like coach spans uh, outside hand passing drill. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's big on that. So yeah, you know, about some of the stuff that you're going to take with you, you know, once you establish, you know, yourself at, in, in, in a head coaching role. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head with, with coach Spanbar. I think <laughs> that he was unbelievable with some of those like small details that go a long way. Yep. And like the outside hand passing, like square passing, I used to, like at I first, I'm like, why drill. are we doing it? Like, when, I hate yeah, that. like when you first saw that drill, <laughs> did you think the same thing as me? I was like, this is college basketball. We, we pass the ball in a square with our opposite hand. And then I was like, all right, well, then you got me thinking, like, Coach Bamar has been very successful at court. Why is he doing this? <laughs> Clearly worked. And then there's a lot of little detail things I think he was great with. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped him put guys in the right spots to succeed. So, you know, got like Justin Cooper was a point guard, but he also played out of the four man spot, like things like that, because his skill set allowed him to. So I think mm-hmm. he's opened my eyes to that. I think here at Colgate, um, I, I love the way we play offensively. It's very free flowing and um, it's not really too scripted. Like we don't really joystick the players. We try and give them the tools and, and show them, the, the right decisions to make because at the end of the day like, we can't play the game so the guys on the court need to be able to make these decisions and basketball is a fast game so you got to be able to make them at a fast pace so that the offensive stuff we run here I love um, in terms of from coach Langle and 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 the rest of the staff is just we're all they're always so brutally honest and I don't mean that in a negative way I, I mean like they're honest with everybody they come in contact with and it allows you to build trust and respect for everybody in the program. Mm. I, I think that's why the, the culture of our program is in a really good place is 
everybody gets the same respect and the same honesty and everyone's a little different. So you might, you might go about it in a different way to a different player, but I think all our players understand that they're all, they all get the same honest honesty from every coach, every member of the coaching staff and they're able to respect that. And it allows you to build trust. Like that's a huge takeaway I've had here. Like sometimes it's something you don't want to hear, but as a, know 18 to 22 year old you're able to respect that and learn from it and maybe change or maybe they ask hey what can I do to switch this around and another honest answer then not I find that when you're when you're very honest with with the players or other people they'll, they'll be honest right back with you and sometimes it's things that they might not want to tell you but they will because they know you've been honest with them let's talk about I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Uh, I remember a moment during Cortland basketball tryouts and Jesse Winters, who's the uh, all-time leading scorer at, at SUNY Cortland. I remember he he drove to the paint and drew two defenders and he hit me on the wing for a pass for, for a three. And I can't remember why I did, but I passed up the shot, which is not, is, is not something I do very often, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I passed up the three, and I, 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 I'm pretty sure he started yelling at me right then and there. He's like, yo, you better shoot that shit if you want to make this team. Like, I've seen you shoot, like, in, in workouts and stuff. Like, yeah. you have a – like, you're a good shooter. But if you don't shoot that shot, like you can't show coach that you're going to make that shot and he's not going to trust us. So talk about some of the, the the chatter that you have with your guys, you know, throughout the season, you know, working on their confidence or, you know, just during tryouts um, that, that that you've I'm sure you've evolved in that area as far as finding your voice and, you know, knowing what to say and when to say it. Yeah, I well, I think Je- Jesse's telling you to shoot because he he knows it was a good shot and it was a good shot for the team. He knew you could make it. Like he's 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 a great player. Like he put that ball in your hands thinking you'd shoot it. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. I think I I think given like obviously I think players will always do what, what they what they know they're capable of. Like that, a lot of guys won't try and go outside of their comfort zone. So. Like we have a guy on our team who, as a, in his first year, he he didn't play as much and in practice he worked really hard. He didn't really shoot the ball great, but I don't think there was one time we told him not to shoot the ball. Like if he was open, we want him to shoot the ball. And he he'd get game reps and get game speed reps in a practice, and then he comes in the next year and. He's able to I don't know what he what percentage he shot him at, but he's able to make open open shots and teams had to defend him a little differently. They didn't think they'd have to. Mm-hmm. Well, that goes back to the previous year. We didn't tell him he couldn't do it. I think, you know, maybe maybe if he was in your situation and Jesse Winter passed him the ball, maybe he would have drove the ball too, or maybe he would have passed it back. But we we didn't tell him no. And and he keeps working hard. He's able to make shots and like he's helped his game. It's helped our team. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, no, it does. Um, Let's talk about an area of coaching that you feel like you've improved the most and whether that's scheduling, communicating, networking, recruiting, academics, handling the ball racks. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, I have no one's kicked over a ball rack on my watch in a while, which is huge. Good. But I don't know. I, I don't know if there's like one area that that sticks out more than others. I think me being a young coach, I I try and soak up as much info as possible about everything I can. So, you know, I'm limited here I, at, at Colgate where I'm, I'm not on the road recruiting, but, you know, I, I sit down with our assistants and in our staff meetings when we talk recruiting and I try and, you know, learn things like how did this coach, you know, handle this situation with this kid? And what, what, how did he word this? How did he, you know, get this message to this kid across? Like, I, I think, I, and, and Spain kind of, told me this when I started working for him. He was like, I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to tell you, hey, Pat, look at this. Like, See how I did this. Like, you, you, you learn what you want to learn. So mm. like, picking up a little bit of everything on, on all different types of aspects of coaching, I, I'm glad you, you mentioned a lot of other things other than just basketball stuff in there because I think that's mm. hugely important. Mm. Gotcha. And just just out of curiosity, if you don't have a big network, how do you go about scheduling? Is it kind of, you know, you talk as a staff and you're like, you know what, let's let's look at playing Lafayette this year. Is it is it something where you guys kind of narrow it down yourself and then, you know, from there you reach out to schools? How does that work? Um, so I, I don't um, directly do our, our scheduling here. I think a lot of it is word of mouth and, you know, the, the coaching community is, is smaller than, than people think. You know, there's a lot of people, but I feel like you always know someone, you always have a mutual friend or know someone that knows another guy at a different program. I think there's, I think there's websites now that, you know, you can kind of put your available dates and see what other teams need. What a lot of it for us is, you know, kind of who's in this region, really. Like we, We'll travel a little bit, you know, for some non-conference games, but, you know, we'll play Binghamton, who's close, or Cornell, or Columbia's in New York City is like a four-hour ride. There's also, I think, conventions at the Final Four, like when they do our, the big, like, NABC convention. I think there is, like, a a period of time set aside for people to go kind of hammer out some scheduling stuff. Um, I don't know. It's... I haven't had to do much, much of it here, but yeah. a lot of it is word of mouth. Like one of our assistants who does deal with scheduling, he'll tell me like, Hey, if, if you talk to anybody, like ask them if they need games on these dates or ask them if they're looking for, you know, th- something like this, or we're, we're going to this area. Do you know any coaches in this state that are near this school? Like for us, it's, it's kind of got to make, make sense. Like logistically, like if we're going, if we're going further, we'll probably want to play, two games out that way rather than just going down for one. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. A um, couple more questions and then we'll, we'll hit some quick hitters as, as my dog dies coughing here in the background. Uh, I I heard on the last podcast, that the one that we mentioned earlier, um, you, you were kind of talking about, you know, your head coach always repeats, you know, is that our shot? Can you talk about, um some of the the maybe pillars or some of the drills you know some of the offensive principles that that lead you guys to to where you're at offensively I think you finished second in in points scored this year um and your offense has been great the the efficiency you know team efficiency and individual player efficiency 
has been, you know, toward the top of the NCAA the last couple of years. Can you talk about, you know, what, what plays into that? Yeah. So I think what I talked about with, with coach Stark and like taking our shot, like, you know, you might take a shot that might be a okay shot, might be a good shot, but is it the best shot for us? Like, is it the best shot for our group? Does this shot give us the best chance to, you know, play the way we want to play or however the flow of the game's going? Um, we talk about a lot in practice. I think we have a lot of very smart basketball players. So I think it's, you know, maybe it's easier for us to, to get, to get that. Like we have a lot of guys that buy into that quickly. Um, I really like it. I, I think, I think we do have good shot selection. I mean, it's impossible to go a whole basketball game and only take good shots. Like it's, <laughs> it's also a game of mistakes. Like you're going to make mistakes. You're going to take a couple of shots that aren't our shot. But if you understand that that shot's not our shot, well, then you learn from it. And maybe the next time you swing it or you drive it, stuff like that. Another thing we talk about a lot is, um, Coach Langle might stop practice and be like, and ask. He usually does it to the young guys, which is kind of funny, some of their answers, but <laughs> like they'll make a decision and he'll stop and be like, why did, you, why did you pass that? Why did you pass the ball here? Or why did you drive this gap? Or who told you to do this? <laughs> and he always like, who, who, who told you to pass it to him in the corner? And like the new guys are always like, Coach Moore said it on the sideline or like something funny. And, but the, like the answer is that the defense told you. Like the defense played you this way. So you made this decision. And I think that that helps us a lot. Like, all right, there's, there's two guys guarding the ball here or, you know, we, I'm, I'm a guard. I'm coming off a ball screen. They're zoning up on the backside of it. Well, I'm going to pass it here because there's a two on one there. We could, we have a guy who can attack a closeout, and then there's only one defender and two of our players. So, that's one thing I, I like. I think, sure, there's a lot, a lot of teams that are portraying that same message one way or another. Mm. Okay. Okay. And uh, so three more questions. So um, I really want to know what your practice breakdown is like. So, you know, is there uh, a drill that you guys do every day? Um, do you always spend, you know, 75% of it on offense versus, you know, defense, you know, are you guys pretty heavy into competitive full court drills? Are you guys competitive and, you know, you guys do a lot of three on three stuff, you know, what do your practices look like? So I think a lot of it depends on where we're at in the year or, and like who we have on the roster that year, like we might play differently. Like this year we, we played at a faster pace than my first two years at Colgate. So I think we, we did do a lot more in transition or run a little bit more. Um, we have a lot of drills that we'll do every day. Like there's a couple of shooting drills. There's one shooting drill we'll sprinkle in every practice at least once, sometimes more. Um, there's another shooting drill that we'll end every practice with. We've ended every practice with it for my three years. I would imagine these guys have ended their practices with it for longer than that. Um, I don't know. I think I think we have. I think we're we're pretty good offensively, but we, we still do a lot on defense and some drills, like, I don't think there's any drill where only, you know, if there's any live drill, it's not only an offensive drill. You're, you could still coach the defense. Hmm. Hmm. So our, we do a lot of, we do a lot of shooting and a lot of 
footwork stuff and breakdown stuff. Every day we'll also split up and do uh, a post perimeter. So, you know, two of our assistants will take the perimeter guys on one end and our other assistant. This year I was able to, to get on the court and rebound and do some things with a, a waiver for support staff. So I would help, you know, rebound or get the pad with the big guys. And, you know, that's some freedom that Coach Langle gives gives our, our coaching staff. Like, hey, we're going to have a 10-minute segment every day. Like, do do what you want. And there's a lot of different things we do in that, depending on who we're playing and things like that. Some days, like, we might just work on, like, just finishing moves around the rim. Or then the next day, like, we might be preparing to play someone over the weekend. So we we guard ball screens the way we're going to guard them in that game. But I think it's cool that there's a little freedom there. Um, every practice is a little different, but we do have a lot of, like, staple drills. Yeah. I don't know. It would be tough for me to describe them over the phone, I think. You can send me videos. That'll work. <laughs> I definitely, yeah, yeah, I could definitely do that. Definitely selfishly want those. All right, so uh, – For sure. Last question is, you know, you guys are one of the best mid-major, you know, programs in the country. Um, you guys have have beaten and, and played some heavyweights, you know, pretty much every year you guys play Syracuse. Although this year, you know, your league shut that down, but I uh, play Syracuse and, you know, you played uh, Arkansas in the tournament, you know, played them tough, you know, we're, we're leading um, up until I think, you know, eight or nine minutes left in that game. Um, does, does your approach change any differently to those games? Like, is there anything that, that you do differently? Are the guys more focused or um, do the, the drills change up? And then my, the second part to that question is um, how you guys, do you guys stick with what you know, what you do during the conference schedule, or do you throw little wrinkles in kind of what does that look like? So I, I think we, you know, in terms of how we, pre- we prepare for a game with our team, yep. we, we do it the same for a conference game as we do a non-conference game or when we are playing a, a high major program, mm-hmm. um, we might, like our game plan might be different based off of who we're playing, but yeah. you know, we'll do the same thing. Like two days out of the game, like we'll watch the same film breakdown on the team or we'll watch our, or we'll watch the personnel. And then the next day we'll go over their offense and defense and, you know, apply stuff on the, on the court. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I th- I'd be curious to, talk to our players and see like if they get more fired up for one of those games than other games. But my, my guess would be uh, not really like we prepare for them the same way. Like we go in every game approaching the game and trying to win it. So I, I would hope our guys would be like, yeah, we attack every, every game the same, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we play Syracuse in the fall, but then when, you know, it's late January and we're playing a conference game. Like I, I hope I hope they're attacking it with the same energy or intensity. Um, what was the second part of your question? Sorry. Uh, just for the the conference play, you know, uh, versus you know when you're playing a big opponent. So you kind of answered that. Yeah, I think I don't know. It depends on who we're playing. Like, there's a lot of good teams in our league, so you know we we might focus on a different area or defend a ball screen a different way against a different team or. You know, some teams might sprinkle in a zone, so we got to prepare to play against more zone than we did the weekend before, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Last question. Um, the transfer portal 
was absolutely insane this year. I think the last yeah, it was. I I just looked it up. I I cannot find it right now, but it was something like thirteen hundred, you know, kids in the portal, um, and that tends to adversely affect you know mid major schools, low major schools. Uh, good D2s, you know, because the, the guys are trying to move up a, a level, at least in their minds, they think it's going to be better for their career, whether or not that works out, you know, so up for interpretation. But, you know, talk about being, you know, a mid-major program in the midst of that, you know, sometimes it works out that, that you do get a transfer, but, you know, other times, times, you know, from what I hear from college coaches, like you have to spend the same amount of time recruiting your team back as you do, you know, recruiting, you know, new guys, high school guys, transfers. Yeah, I think I think the portal's crazy. I mean, obviously, like the one-time play right away waiver kind of throws a wrench into things. Yeah. But I, know, I think there's a lot of people in the portal that made decisions on college. Like, you know, a lot of colleges you you can't go visit right now, or you can't you can't go on an unofficial or an official visit per campus rules and things like that. So, you know, it's tough to really know. Like, that's the college I want to play at. Like, yeah. You haven't been there. You haven't sat down with the, your your future teammates and things like that so then some kids get to a school and like wow this isn't what i expected to be and, and leave um which i think is adds more people to the portal like you said yeah. for us we had we had a couple guys go in the portal and fortunately for us both both guys elected to to return back to colgate um i don't know i think like the like you said, recruiting your own players was like like it's it's different when you when you've had it when you've coached them for a few years like they, they know what you're all about all about you know what they're all about hmm. and just I think it, I think a lot of it depends on why why a kid wants to leave like if if you're recruiting a transfer I think the the first question you should ask is why why are you leaving that program like you know it might might be a reason like oh like maybe that's that's a red flag or like they're like, well yeah it's a really good reason like you, you need to be closer to home or it wasn't a good situation for you um i mean we've we've had transfers here since i've been here and before that have done really well but i think it goes back to just the main point about recruiting is you got to find the guys that are going to want to be in your program yep. or that value the same thing as you do so if you find that guy in the portal, he has the same values as you, and maybe it is a, a good situation. Or, you know, if you find out that you guys don't see the same things the same way or things like that, well, maybe it's smart to not take that kid and he could find a, a different opportunity. But the transfer portal is wild, man. <laughs> it's easy to get in. It's hard to get out. Yeah, it, it's bananas to watch, and you're wondering, you know, where some of these kids are getting their information from. All right, last segment, we'll we'll just hit some quick hitters real quick, and then we'll get you out of here. I'm sure you have uh, some some chores you have to do for the basketball team. <laughs> so, uh, uh, MJ or LeBron? MJ. I love it. Uh, what book is a must read <laughs> for every, for every basketball coach? Um. I like Coach Krzyzewski's book. I forget the title of it. Uh, I read that. I took that off of Coach Spann's bookshelf. And then <laughs> actually in the bubble this year, they gave everyone John Thompson's book, which I haven't started yet, but I'm excited about it. Mm, okay. 
Uh, would you rather take a charge from Shaq or try to guard Kevin Durant with the game on the line? I'm a charge guy. <laughs> I'll tell you I right knew, now. I'll, I knew I'll, that I'll, was going to be your answer. I knew that was going to be so, your <laughs> From Shaq? People laugh and, and, our, and our, our coaching staff will laugh, but like I, I told our guys, I was like, we're not, we don't take enough charges. We got enough opportunities. So, and towards the second half of the year, I, I told anyone who took a charge, they were getting a cookie after the game, a charge <laughs> cookie. We went from having like two total charges taken as a team. I think we finished with like 20 something. There you go. There you go. I love it. So I'll, I'll take the hit. Give me my cookie. <laughs> Hey man, you, you're taking an elbow from Shaq. That takes some stones for sure. What's the <laughs> the best uh, the best dynasty you've seen uh, in basketball? Ooh, I don't know. That I've seen personally, or uh, I mean, if oh. you've watched a, a, some YouTube documentaries about it, maybe this off season, you know, maybe maybe that one's there for you. The the Bulls. I mean, I I think. I think the last dance was, was unbelievable. I loved it, but obviously I was what I was just born. <laughs> yeah. You got some for that or no? I'm, I'm going to, I'll stick with, with that, that bulls team. Yeah. Teams. There you go. Even though I wasn't really around. I think it would be Shaq and Kobe for me if they hadn't broken up. Underrated, yeah. underrated, yeah, underrated Twitter follow, whether it's a basketball Writer, whether it's a stats guy, um, you know, what do you got for that? Coach Dan Hunt, the head football coach here at Colgate. He's a hmm. great follow. Interesting. Okay. What's uh, your favorite podcast or YouTube series? Um, I've listened to a lot of different ones. Actually, one of our players put me on to the – it's All the Smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. Great pod. Great pod. Yes, sir. That's a great one. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's they talk basketball, they talk life, they get other people outside of basketball people coming in. I, I think it's Nelly Cummings, one of our players. He he was listening to, and I was like, asked him what he was listening to, and I started, and I I'm hooked. They just had uh they just had Shaq uh, last week. That was really good. What was the yeah, uh, I'll first, be listening. What was the first time that you were in a room when you realized you don't know it? You don't know anything about basketball. <laughs> When you just around some basketball minds that you're just like, damn, I have a long way to go. Honestly, yeah, I felt that way when I started at Colgate. Like all these guys have had great playing careers and been coaching for a while. And I was so young and my only experience had really been working at Cortland. So hmm. like just absorbing all these new concepts and new ideas, I was like, whoa. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think it's helped me because I was able to learn those new things here. What coaches do you study? Um, that's an interesting one. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't know if there's an like one guy I can be like. Oh, I just follow. Like, I just love everything he does. I think I like to try and, you know, pick things from everybody if mm -hmm. I can. Gosh. I think there's always something you can learn from each person. That was a very coach-like answer there. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't give you one single person, to be honest. <laughs> what's, the, what's the hardest shot in basketball? Hardest shot in basketball? Yeah. I don't know. For me, it's that, <laughs> that, that when you're in the fast break and you're in that short corner, like you're not under the rim and there's a defender between you and the rim. Yeah. 
it's a weird because you can't bank it and a floater is just going to go off. So, yeah, that's my my least favorite. Yeah. Story. All right. Uh, here's the money question. So would you rather take Mo or Span to hit a wing three to save your life? Mo or Span to hit a winning three? To hit a wing three to save your life. I mean, this is out of no disrespect to Mo Kearney, but I know Span can shoot that thing. I've heard about it. I've heard about it. I've seen him. I've seen him take some shots in practice before, and he, he makes them. And that's no, like I said, no disrespect to Mo, but I'm I'm taking Span. He's gonna hit it. I know Mo has really been uh, selling his three point shot every time we've been talking to him. Man, you don't understand. I had a jump shot after my Mo, Mo can knock him down. <laughs> Mo can knock him down, but like as a I think player, that was Span did. As a player, that definitely was not his game. All right, and then uh, to close it out, I want to hear your your best Tom Spanbauer impression. Man, I don't know. Span did a lot of things that yeah, I used to remember. I mean, one, he would always start every game. He'd, like, walk down the end of the bench, and he'd sit down on one knee for the jump ball. And then game, ball gets tipped up, game starts. First guy to make a mistake, he'd just stand up come on and then right, right from that moment it's just the flip switch and he was in game mode and he was just intense the whole 40 minutes it was awesome fires me up he really was you know it was funny because he'd be quiet if someone hit a jump shot or something but yeah he would kind of yeah yeah that, that first that first thing he didn't like what he shot and come on <laughs> i love it all right so the the last segment on every podcast is i i kind of flip the tables and, you know, you get to ask me one question about, you know, whatever you want. Um, I like that. I'd ask you, like, what's the biggest thing that you could take away from working at a program like DeMatha? Like, everyone, like, it's no surprise the success DeMatha has. And, yeah. like, they're good every year. Like, But whether it's basketball or non-basketball, like, what's one thing that, that you're taking away from your experience at DeMatha? Oof. Um, a lot, you know, working under coach Jones has been not just, coach sure. Jones, but, you know, working under his staff, you know, Kevin Cromer, Daryl green, um, you know, banks and, and, and some of the guys, um, there's some consistency that he really likes. He really likes his assistant coaches to be former players at the Matha. Um, so I think I'm one of two coaches on staff and there's, I think there's, uh, 13 assistants, you know, between the freshman JV and varsity team. I, I'm pretty sure I'm one of two guys that did not play at Namatha and did not go there. Um, so he really wow. kept it in the family. And so that really adds to, you know, each, each generation, um, you know, kind of raising the next and, and, and talking about how important it is to, to know how, you know, the math on your chest is something you should be proud of. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is just some of the non-negotiables that he has that aren't, they, they aren't, you know, um, normal. So like, you know, if, if a player misses a layup in practice, um, it's 10 push-ups right away. It doesn't matter if we're doing full core layups. It doesn't matter if we're warming up. It doesn't matter if it's in a game. Like it, if it's in a game, like you, you miss the layup. As soon as there's a dead ball, he turns, he's like, yo, Pat, where are my 10 pushups at? And he just, <laughs> the kid drops down. <laughs> That's and, hilarious. Out. and it's just some of the stuff like that, 
Um, and, and just some of the principles as far as, you know, pointing to the guy who scored and picking up your teammate whenever, you know, running over. Like if, if you do not sprint over when, when your, your teammates on the ground, he will light you up and he will take you out of the game. Immediately. Yeah. Um, I like that. And just the, the amount of players, you know, we're, we're seeing Hunter, um, Hunter Dickinson just killing it at Michigan. And a lot of people are just, whoa, where did this come from? And I'm like, he's been dominating at the math for a while, but like if he, if he went to any other school in the country, this kid's averaging 27 and 14 in his sleep. Um, and I think he ended up averaging 18 or 19, but I mean, I was talking to, to uh, one of our assistants the other day. And I was like, when was, who was the last guy that averaged over 20 points a game? Because, you know, it's, it's really a lot of kids that, you know, it, it's the inverse for a lot of people. Most of the time they do well in high school and they, you know, do poorly in college for our guys. It's like, you know, a kid will average six, eight points a game. You know, Jameer Young is a great example. So he was our starting point guard at the Matha. Um, probably only scored about eight points a game, maybe 10 max. Uh, goes down to UNC Charlotte, immediately puts up, you know, 17, five and four a, a, a game in his freshman year, wins the freshman of the year award. And I'm pretty sure he won the player of the year award this past season. So um, just guys understanding that they're going to have to sacrifice shots to play at the Matha, understanding that like coach is not like, if you're good, like, cool, he's going to bring in other good players to compete with you every day. So you are not going to get comfortable at any yeah. point in your four years. Um, That's you know, awesome. He's he's not going to be um, he's not going to be afraid of that. And then just how intense coaches um, <laughs> coach coach is like Tom Mizzo when it comes to scheduling. I mean, he is one of the most aggressive you know schedulers. Like he wants to he wants to play Montverd at Montverd. You know he wants to play IMG Academy. He wants to play Sunrise at at these events. You know when. He's talking to the the people that are hosting these tournaments. He's like, look, like I want to play this team. I don't want to, like we're not traveling to Florida to play some scrub. Like we're not traveling to Massachusetts to play in hoop hall to play, you know, the local team. You know what I'm saying? It's uh like yeah. he wants all the smoke and and he, you know, it's important obviously for recruiting for for the kids that we bring in. You know, locally, there's a lot of competition with the high schools and, you know, being able to have those showcase games is important. Being able to play on TV is obviously huge um, at our level. But I mean, I mean, he sets up, you know, four or five games a year um, that are on national TV that, you know, put a lot of pressure on guys. And, you know, he, he wants guys that wants that pressure. So um, that's something that I really um, like about him. And something that I really think is important, you know, because you can be as good as you want to be, but, you know, if you're only playing the local talent in the area, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you're, you're, it's eventually going to come out. So, I mean, if you're, if you're scheduling some, some cupcake teams, uh, you know, just because that that's, you know, you want to, you want to kind of stack your record or help your kids confidence or, you know, help their recruiting and stuff like that. I mean, our conference is really hard, but um, I don't really count this past season just because of COVID and everything. It was hard to schedule stuff. But the year before that, like we played Sunrise Christian. We played Montverde. Um, we had Charlotte Christian, uh, Steph Curry's team, um, come into town to play us in our tournament. Um, we played Simeon, uh, it, Chicago's like best uh, public school team at uh, Hoop Hall. We played Rancho Christian that had Evan Mobley on it. Um, 
you know, and then, you know, we're playing against Paul the sixth that, you know, has, you know, Doug and uh, Trevor Keels on it. You know, we're playing St. John's that had Casey Morsell and um, all these guys on it. And so I, I think it's just really cool that in a lot of situations um, they would see, you know, a, a coach would be like, you know, our, our, our league's tough. So I'm not going to make it any more difficult. Like our office, you know, our, um, out of conference schedule is going to be a, a cakewalk and he's he's trying to prepare kids for the next level and there's some kids even at the division two level that they come back to me and they're like coach like the amount of preparation that coach Jones had us doing is more than our college teams are doing and you know he <laughs> uh, I had the opportunity to work with I don't know if you're familiar with the capital classic all-star game um started in uh, D.C. some years ago. Uh, the the picture that LeBron James just posted the other day was CP3 on CP3's birthday. I think it was yesterday. Uh, that was in the Capital Classic game. It's this big all-star game. Yeah. Um, I brought in uh, – I wanted I want a coach to coach the local team. It's, it's basically a team of local kids from the DMV to play against kids from the rest of the country in, like, an all-star game. And I want to coach to, to coach the local team because he played in the game back in the day. And obviously he's he's worked with, you know, he's either coached or coached against a lot of these kids, um, whether it's in our camp or whatever the case may be. And I mean, this this guy had a had a 90 minute practice and just had the dudes gelled like immediately. Like he had uh, like oh, kind wow. of a bonding activity um, the day before when we got in, like we had like an inner squad squad scrimmage. Uh, the first day the kids got into town and then uh, so we, we played against each other there behind closed doors. And then the next day we had, you know, another practice and, you know, like one, one 90 minute practice, you had the guys lined up. I mean, it also helped that, you know, a lot of these kids have played AAU together or, you know, they had played together since they were in like third grade, you know, on travel circuits and stuff. But um, just the way that he was able to get those guys connected was really cool to see. So that was a very long-winded answer to what you were saying, but, you know, really just the, the, the culture, DeMatha, and what uh, – another thing that Jones said on his podcast, I would definitely recommend that people go listen to that, but uh, he was talking about how each wave of players not only inspires, but, you know, really gets into um, the next wave of players. So – you know, Hunter and Earl are coming back and they're getting in the ear of, you know, guys like Jordan that just graduated this year and Lil E and stuff like that. And they're talking to them about preparation. Our guys that are in the NBA now, Markel and Vic are always coming through um, to really get into the guys. And I mean, there was uh, one of our, one of our uh, sophomores this past year, Jacoy Hutchinson. I mean, he's like a top 25 kid in his class, but uh, Jeremy Grant had just signed his his deal, you know, making 20 million a year, I think. And Jacoy thought he was, you know, ahead of the game, getting to getting to the gym at 7:30 during the summer. And Jeremy had already been there for an hour and a half, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. in a full sweat. And this is a dude making 20 million dollars a year. Like he he doesn't need to be in a in a sweaty gym, you know, at 6 a.m. during the summer when he could easily just do the same workout at nine. But um, just that type of culture, just inspiring kind of the next wave and, you know, that, you know, class of players always, you know, reaching out to the class below them when they're in college and, and still keeping up that communication is, is really important. So I, I think the the culture is definitely a buzzword that gets thrown around a lot, kind of willy nilly, but 
Um, it's very intentional and it's, it's the most important thing to, to him because uh, coach Wooten, everything that he built at the math is very important to him. And so he sees, you know, everything he does and rightfully so as a continuation of that tradition. And that's something that he takes seriously. So when it comes to, you know, dudes bullshit and stuff when they're, you know, in a DeMatha uniform on the road, you know, before a big game, like he's going to light their ass up. And it's not just because he's their coach. It's because it's like, look, you represent, you know, 40 years of, of excellence in DeMatha basketball. And that type of culture is, is one that keeps winning, um, you know, starts winning and then, you know, also continues it, you know, down the line. So um, I don't know if you took anything of value from that, but yeah, that was my long winded answer to your question. there. <laughs> no, I definitely did. I mean, like based off that answer, it, it seems pretty clear you're you're in a good situation. And to be honest, it seems like he runs his program more more like a, a college. So it's probably why his his players go on and have a lot of success at the next levels because it's probably less of an adjustment for them coming from playing for him. And it's it's really interesting too because so he also coaches with Team USA. I believe it's at the U16 level. He won a, a gold medal in Brazil. Uh, the summer before last, but just some of the teamwork and some of those concepts that he brings from that. And then just also working, you know, the Nike skills Academy and some of this other stuff. Um, you know, he, he always pulls in, you know, new sets and new def defensive ideas and stuff every year. So he's, he's always constantly in learn mode, you know, every, every off season too. You know, I know it was, it was a pretty enjoyable time, at least for me, the beginning of the pandemic last year, because there was all these college basketball minds with all this knowledge that all of a sudden they had time to do zoom calls and stuff like that. And it was, yeah. it was funny because I would be on a call and then I see coach Jones name and he's just there, you know, to learn, you know, he's just there. Like some of them, he was there to present. I think I was in two or three of them where he was presenting that I, I had no idea he was presenting in. I guess I don't, pay, I don't pay enough attention to social media, but uh, you know, I didn't even know that he was presenting and I was just like, ah, you know, and, and I learned something from that. And which is crazy to say, cause you know, I just finished my third year there, but you know, I'm able to still pick something up from him, um, that, that I really enjoy. So I uh, appreciate you having, having, uh, having you on the show, man. Appreciate you coming on. It was uh, a great time learning a lot. Uh, let the people know where they can find you at on social media, uh, to, to, learn uh, more nuggets of wisdom from from the great uh, Pat Stasiak. <laughs> cool. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on. This was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let them know your social media handle, big guy. Dude, I don't even know it off the top you of my know, head. You um, even know your own Twitter handle? <laughs> it's at Coach Stays, S-T-A-Z-E. That's my Twitter handle. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, brother. I had to look it up, though. <laughs> All right, Aaron. I'll talk to you. Thank you. Stay safe.